Excellent. So here we are on a uh, new episode of Building New Realities, which is the Future Visual uh, podcast. Uh, delighted to chat today with Alex Rule, who I last um, chatted with when we were part of an Augmenter uh, program uh, a couple of years ago. We were just saying, you know, that, that was only in 2018, but a lot has happened uh, in that time, both uh, in obviously in the XR space, but generally. So really, in the world at large, there's been a whole apocalypse since then. That's right, a whole <laughs> apocalypse. We're on like the sixth, sixth horseman of the apocalypse right now. So it's lovely to um, to talk to you again, Alex. You too. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to mainly just selfishly catching up. Yeah, excellent. So yeah, from, from what I understand from those Augmenter days, and Augmenter was a, was a program put on at Digital Catapult where eager XR people would turn up with their great idea and go, this is my idea, you must fund it. And, uh, and from what I remember, um, you were more, more involved or continued to be involved in the, in the sort of cinematic uh, space. And as an introduction, you're obviously director of um, your company is called Cats Are Not Peas, which I which I always wondered where that came from, and I thought it must have just been. In fact, let's start with that. Was it just like, well, people are never going to forget that, or was that something <laughs> else behind Cats Are Not Peas? It's so funny. I've told so many different variations of the story about why the company's called that, but at this point, I'm sure there's about ten different versions. The 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 real genuine answer is that um, when I was a student at university, one of the crap jobs that I did to pay my way was um, working in the library just like putting books back but you know I was a I was a media kid I was like a creative and I was working in the science section and at the time I wasn't particularly interested in science but you know it was kind of interesting to see the different kind of like titles the different kind of subjects like in the science section and one of the books was called Cats Are Not Peas and I thought oh my God, I've got to read that. Like, what's that about? Like, what a brilliant title. And so from that day, I just thought, if I ever have a company, I'm going to have to call it that because it was the perfect, like you say, it's almost like the perfect marketing, even though I wasn't particularly interested in, in the subject of science and genetics back then, although I'm probably a little bit more that way inclined nowadays. Um, you know, it's, it was one of those things where I was like, it made me want to pick the book up because it was such a good title so that's the so you've, pr so you've proved that it works twice then as a memorable name people remember your company and you remember that book yeah cats not peace sounds like some kind of like quantum uh, science uh, edition. Well, oh, I, I do. I do like to almost think. Uh, you know, uh, when people ask, "What does it mean, though?" Like cats not peas. I'm like, well what what does it mean? You know, cats are not peas. I mean, there is a philo philosophical take that cats are peas. Really, when you think about it, if we talk on a atom or like a you know a spiritual level so you know <laughs> it depends which way you want to take the conversation well also i guess it's applicable to the xr space right where we're we're, we're often well generally all the time proponents of well don't just build it like it's in reality which is you know quite a lot of the sort of inquiries we get they're like okay i want to do this training around a supermarket and can you just build us a supermarket i mean i suppose in that case it needs to be accurate um <laughs> but you get my gist you know a, a response is, is quite often like well let's let's not build it to the confines of reality exactly let's go beyond that what about a space where cats could be peas anyway we could go around in a loop all that <laughs> and how did you end up in this field then what was what was your background um Prior, prior to setting up your company? So I um, always had a fascination with film, um, always was 
interested whether it be from like originally when I was younger it was from a performance kind of like I wanted to be an actress or I wanted to do something in theatre or something like that and then as I got older I realised that I loved filmmaking whether it was just like making little films with my friends at the weekends or going on to kind of like doing bigger you know projects for like A-levels that kind of thing anyway ended up when it got to kind of picking a route to go down career-wise thought well filmmaking's a little bit too of a dubious kind of industry you know there's it was already at the point where indie filmmakers uh were on a downward trajectory in terms of the money they could make so my parents and you know and my own research I guess kind of pushed me in the direction of television so I actually pursued um, a career in television right up until um, kind of 25 I think I was when I left the TV industry and in those years I did manage to kind of climb the ladder so to speak quite quickly I ended up in rooms pitching to commissioning editors for all the biggest kind of broadcasters in the UK so like Channel 4, BBC, Sky um, had a couple of pieces commissioned, go on to be become television shows um, and realised really after about five years or so on, in that endeavour, realising that this really wasn't for me. Like it was a bit too formulaic. The industry was a bit too big. So it was a lot, you know, a lot of fierce competition for like the minute kind of different roles. There was no scope to like do something exciting and new and around the time that I jumped I was thinking about jumping out of TV a friend of mine put me in a VR headset and showed me um, one of Felix and Paul's early pieces which was like a Cirque du Soleil piece and literally from that day on I was like I need to know everything about this technology that was the first time that I experienced VR and especially from an artistic kind of medium I thought this is something so new and so special. I want to be a part of this. And then the more I got to know about it, the more I started to connect with other people in those early days of VR as a kind of art form back in like 2015. Um, it started to become apparent that this was a really new industry. No one really knew what they were doing. And there was so much kind of room to play. It was everything that I wasn't getting from my career in television. So from there, I just... I went on a bit of a rampage and just started making projects and you know one thing led to another and I've had a kind of interesting career within the VR space because like you say when we met I was actually pursuing more of the enterprise route with 360 filmmaking and we were building a product that was all about interactive training experiences and then very quickly realized that although I still do fundamentally believe that's a huge part of the industry, for me personally, what's more interesting is about the cinematic language of VR, using the different new technologies that are coming out. Like I just recently did a piece um, with PwC, which was volumetric video capture. So, you know, really understanding like how the landscape is cha changing in terms of like, not just uh, VR as an entertainment format, but actual narrative storytelling and how that's going to impact pretty much every industry, right? Not just enterprise, not just entertainment, but, you know, narrative storytelling kind of is a through, um, a through piece for all industries, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's so interesting. And occasionally I reflect on this, that, you know, how as humans, we, we almost need story as much as, you know, we need a uh, roof over our heads, food, you know, obviously it's not at that top level, but story and storytelling is kind of central to the human experience, which is why I think you see like this, you know, enormous growth of, of, of these streaming channels, you know, Netflix, yeah. Disney Plus, it almost seems like, 
God, can you know? Can they give us any more content? But well, and I think some don't we just think... La- we lap it up. You know, we want more and more. Yeah, and I don't know about your opinion on that, but my opinion on that is is because we are constantly seeking confirmation that our lived experience is not necessarily unique, that there is this kind of, you know, universal human experience that we're all having to experience love or loss or all of, or adventure, all of these different, you know, storytelling, um, I guess, themes. Uh, I think ultimately, regardless of what medium you enjoy it in, whether it's in music or television or film or, you know, game experience, you're all, it's all just kind of like replicating lots of different forms of the human experience, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of it in that way. Like it's almost reassurance of of your your core values, or you you know you know if you watch something a bit scary that you know there's going to be a protagonist, there's going to be some uh, uncertainty, and then things will work out, or maybe they won't, but then they'll be fixed in the next series. You know, the obviously with the um, what's it? You know, the, the Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journeys. You know, the seven types of story, the pillars of story. Um, and it's interesting to hear that you felt so constrained by uh, traditional TV and their formats because uh, I think I was discussing this with my wife the other day that like, like some formats they've just got them nailed right you, mm. you know, particularly obviously like dating programs or makeover programs or cooking programs oh, right yeah. I don't know why I'm watching this but they just oh it's because my daughter was what yeah I was watching a makeup program you know with, with my wife and they've just got it nailed like the the, the drama like they're going to get kicked out you know this is They've got a lifetime of opportunity here on, on, on the line. And it's, and it's kind of fascinating to see how it's applied to, and a bit boring and a bit constrictive, how it's just applied to so many um, sort of different parts of life. In fact, we had an inquiry last week and someone phoned up from a TV company. And, and you, having been in TV, would have known that there's a bit of swagger, like, hi, I'm calling from, the, I'm calling from a production company. I, can't, <laughs> yes. I can tell you which one it is, but I, I can't tell you the... Um, the, the series we're pitching, but we're looking for uh, something this to do in, in AR. We're looking at a, a, a kind of age filter. I was like, "What are you doing a dating show?" And basically, the people get to look at each other uh, over oh. years of age. And he's like, "Yes." <laughs> How did you guess? It's like, well, it's pretty predictable. <laughs> that's so funny, and that's the joke, isn't it? It's like regard, like making it can feel really formulaic, but actually watching it, it's gripping, even if you do know the format, right? Yeah. Like, you, yeah. yeah, like you say, well, you recognise the patterns, but you can't help but still like get sucked into it, which again is, I think, very telling of of us humans. We like patterns, don't we? We mm-hmm. like kind of yeah to be able to spot the patterns and things so yeah you, you touched on two really interesting things there which are the, the narrative of storytelling and and using latest tech like like volumetric capture i guess if we start with like the narrative of storytelling that's that's one that i know less about and, and are really interested to hear your views on how you think the narrative of storytelling in vr could change is it multiplayer is it uh are there scenarios where you just be driven by audio how, how do you how do you see the um the sort of direction for that and uh, and is there and is there a discipline name for it yet you know because obviously we've got you know choreographer we've got composer you know what is what is someone who, who looks at spatial narrative yeah, a, 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 yeah well i think it's interesting you've hit on something really interesting there which is that i think 
uh, one of the biggest challenges of the industry, and this has kind of always been the problem, even in the kind of five, six years that I've been in the industry, is that we don't currently have names for some of these roles, or we, we're giving them names based on other industries, but they're not really the same role and they're not quite applicable. Um, so to, to answer your question, I have no idea what what that role is and I don't I this is why I find it so difficult when some people tell me you know when they ask me what do you do because I'm kind of like well I have no idea what to even say experience designer sounds a bit wanky you know <laughs> like, or like narrative director but that you know director implies very tight control over um you know the visual kind of like uh, fabric of like a narrative but we know from working in vr that you can't really have that control really because mm. the audience are going to interact with it how they want to interact with it so therefore are you the environment designer but that again is very is something very different in different disciplines um but you know when it comes to what i think what I personally think of like narrative in VR and where I think it's going. I think if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, I would have said that there was absolutely space for a spectrum of kind of narrative experiences in VR, starting with a passive experience of just kind of sitting on the sofa and almost like watching a 3D kind of film, only it's, you know, it's, you're in the film because you're watching it in VR, um, right the way through to more kind of like game-based stories where you've got a lot more agency. Nowadays, I feel like I take a little bit more of like a kind of, um, I can't help but take a little bit more of like a, maybe a longer term view and think realistically, what is going to make someone want to put on a headset or contact lenses, whatever it is in the future, over the simple, phenomenal, absolutely nailed to perfection experience of watching Netflix. What is that? It's not going to be watching, a, in my opinion, it's not going to be watching a passive VR experience because it's, there's not enough of a reason to do that in VR. Not unless, you know, it's you and your grandma and your auntie and your, you know, your nieces all getting together in a virtual space and watching the cinema because you can't physically go to the cinema together, maybe. Like, you know, maybe that's where you're going to watch more kind of like passive based stuff, but it won't be you know, it won't be like you're, you're choosing to watch a passive VR experience by yourself because it adds so much more than a traditional kind of thing. But what I think we're going towards is probably more something akin to like a Dungeons and Dragons or a secret cinema. It's going to that kind of like open world, uh, you choose your own adventure kind of thing. Maybe a little bit of kind of like, you've maybe got someone at the helm curating it, whether that be like a DM, like someone that is there in charge of like the story, or maybe it's an AI in the future. Maybe the AI kind of runs the show and kind of changes the experience based on what you're paying attention to and what you're kind of saying. But I always think back to when I was a kid and I use this analogy so many times, it's like cringe at this point, but I always talk about like being Xena the warrior princess when I was a kid. I used to run around the house pretending that I was in Xena the warrior princess. And so I think when I think of the ultimate future for VR, I think of like kids that run around pretending that they are in a cinematic universe. It's that, whatever that is, that's what the future of VR storytelling is, in my opinion. But I'd be curious to hear your thoughts as someone maybe not as closely in it in the day to day. Yeah, I mean, I think all of those uh, examples. I mean, I think I think even watching 
you know, there's a, there's a place for watching uh, Netflix in VR or Amazon in VR. Um, you know, because I, 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 I've used my VR headset to, to watch movies in and, you know, you do have that massive experience. So I think when you're, when you're perhaps traveling, if that happens again, you know, when you're on your move or, you know, it, I think as part of a kind of more minimalist setup, right? Let's say you were, um, you know, traveling around or you were perhaps trying to go a little bit off grid, but still, still kind of work just in terms of that kind of compact, mm. um, call it office or compact components that you need you know you you need some clothes you need some books you obviously need your laptop and I, and I think as as part of that mix it, it, it can work quite well that's a bit more of a, of a technical view I also think your your view of sitting to watch movies with family members is quite interesting I think Alcove um, do do a piece which is is, is built specific, specifically for families <clears throat> But um, I, I, yeah, I think the lead experience, I think something like a punch drunk type mm. experience, um, replicating those is, is, is a really interesting uh, direction. So, you know, for, the, for those who haven't heard of punch drunk, punch drunk is, is, is like immersive theatre. So it sort of, uh, so VR lends itself very well to that because one of the sort of, you know, mantras we have you know, future visual is that, you know, we use VR for providing access to situations and scenarios that are physically impossible or prohibitively expensive. Now, Punch Drunk and Secret Cinema are, are very clever, uh, very resourceful in that they turn these kind of empty spaces and link them together to really make them feel like the theme that they're going after. So they're slightly different. You know, Punch Drunk will they'll have a story that they are they're doing. So one of their stories might be like your um, you're watching your own funeral. Um, you know, they, I, I know they've done little bits like that. And, and Secret Cinema, like I went to the Blade Runner one, um, and, and it was amazing. You know, you, know, you literally, you know, it started raining uh, onto, onto the floor. It was, it, was, it was incredible. And that was all led. So I think, and I don't think anyone's nailed that yet. Um, I expect, I know Cirque were doing some stuff like say with Felix and Paul, but it's, that's probably just high quality capture of Cirque stuff rather yeah. than lending itself to exploration. So, you know, we do a lot of work in multiplayer and just the ability to talk to other people and interact with them, even when you're a, fine, a fairly crude avatar, is incredibly powerful. And we do slip into that very casually of like, oh, right, cool. I'm in this space. I'm just this kind of basic avatar. And like with the new Oculus avatar releases, which they're, they're sort of incrementally improving, there's quite a lot going on in avatar world that isn't about capturing your real avatar. It's just about giving you better and better cartoon avatars. You know, they're, they're really good now. You get like, you know, little gestures like your eyebrows move and there's kind of like almost feels like there's little bits of facial uh, shading That's interesting. going on. Um, so I think the lead experience will be great. And that seems like it should have commercial viability, right? Mm. If you build up a, a series of those experiences and you get people to lead them, you know, you should be able to get the numbers through them. Yeah, so definitely. And I think that is, you know, again, uh, hitting on that point of commerciality. Like at the moment, commercialization is kind of preserved mainly obviously you've you've mentioned punch drunk and obviously marshmallow laser feast and some of these are the bigger companies that have 
have succeeded in commercializing more artistic narrative based VR things, but really it's reserved for games still. And that's okay because those are the people that've got the headsets at home, but mm. we need to be thinking about this as creatives or even as business owners is thinking about, yeah, it's great thinking, do you know what would be perfect in VR? You know, this very specific space adventure that does X, Y, Z, but how are you going to get it to the audiences and how are they going to interact with the space? And, you know, how many people can you put through it? How many ticket sales? Is it a one-off? Blah, blah, blah. All the kind of stuff that uh, most creatives don't necessarily pay attention to. You know, I think that lead experience, I mean, there's so much more room for it. To, it doesn't even feel like we've really touched the the surface of kind of lead oh. adventure experiences just get a bit of flavor of the some of the the stuff you've worked on what's been your favorite project you've worked on to date oh that is a good question um i have a couple so the one that i mentioned when we first kicked off the volume video uh, the volumetric capture project that i just worked on with pwc that's probably one of my favorite to date purely from a from a creative narrative and also technically challenging perspective um to give you some context um the piece is around um unconscious bias and uh very much a training piece used to kind of educate uh, PwC employees and also glo their global clients in race awareness, basically. Um, and when they came to me, they were they hadn't decided fully on what the format was going to be, but they knew they wanted to use VR in a way that would completely immerse someone, put someone in someone else's shoes, and give them experience that they couldn't have in the like lived world. Um, and so we went through the house, we went kind of around the houses talking about the different types of technologies we could use, the different kind of outputs. We knew that it was most likely going to have to be rolled out on an Oculus Quest. And so that for me, you know, in my very limited kind of uh, technical capacity, kind of ruled out the idea of volumetric, just pure, because we wanted to do an interactive narrative. And the idea of doing a volumetric interactive narrative for Quest, I had never heard of anyone doing that and every time I kind of like kind of reached out to experts especially like people with the technical know-how they all said that it would should be impossible <laughs> it's not it's not something really you like embark on because it's so technically challenging and so expensive to get right um that no one had really done it to our knowledge um so that was so much fun for me as a creative to get to direct a volumetric piece with some really interesting challenges like for example you know with 360 video you're essentially just capturing a full space. So if, yeah, you've got some limitations with the camera and the stitching and, and that kind of thing, but really you can kind of do what you want. Um, whereas with volumetric, it was a case of like, for example, you can only have like a maximum of two actors in the volume at once. So what about scenes that I had written that had four people in? Okay, well, all of a sudden, we're either going to have to change the creative or we're going to have to find a way in the production workflow to make that work. So we did end up going down the route of, well, let's record two actors at a time and then play their recorded take back to the other actors who then had to perfectly sync their performance, not only perfect timing with the script, but also like lining up their eyeline to people that weren't there. So that for me 
was not only a brilliant project because I really believed in like the reason PwC were kind of doing that project, but also from a creative and technical point of view, it was like a phenomenal project to kind of work on. And I think there's um, uh, information and videos and stuff available from that project like online. Um, uh, so, you know, for anyone who wants to check that out, just search PwC in my shoes, VR experience. And then, so that, that would probably be my favorite creative project, but from like a kind of, um, just if I may have a second answer, one of my favorite projects also has got to be the stuff that I do around, um, bringing VR to audiences. So, um, one example of that is the work that I've done with hospices in the past, which was like rolling out uh, VR in hospices to be used as like mindfulness and wellness kind of therapy. Mm. But not only that, but also doing things like curating and facilitating pop-up cinemas for the BFI um, in partnership with Phoenix Leicester, who are like an independent cinema here, looking at the challenge of like, how do you bring a traditional cinema audience to a technology like VR, which at the moment or at the time we were doing it, was very heavily marketed as a gaming technology. So how do you break those barriers and say to, you know, 55 year old Tom who goes to watch, you know, an independent cinema flick, how do you get him to feel like, you know, this technology is also for you and there's some really exciting stuff being made in this medium. And, you know, it was successful after six months of doing that. We had got loads of like repeat visitors. For me as a director, it was fascinating watching people experience VR. It taught me a lot about, what to do, what not to do, what are good directing techniques, what aren't, you know, I could see the way that people were reacting to stuff. And even the simplest thing, like if someone's never used VR before, you need to tell them that they can look around because otherwise they just mm. sit there like mm. kind of facing forward, mm. scared to like look anywhere. <laughs> so, so yeah, those were the ones that kind of sprang to mind as some favorites. Yeah, what have you learned about, that's a really interesting point, as a director, what have you learned about, and it kind of touches on our previous question, I mean, what, what, have, you, what have you learned about guiding people around the space? I mean, the, the easiest way is just to have someone in there and kind of, and lead it. But are there any other sort of particular techniques or, or cues that you rely on, either to do with lighting, sound, or perhaps other Yeah, so the key ones are, if you can afford sound, spatial audio is a massive key like that one is inherent to human behavior we respond to noises around us so if something loud goes off behind us we instinctively turn around so sound is a huge one um choreography is the next biggest one and the one that i use the most so if i want someone to kind of follow action you know around a space I will move someone or something over there to kind of bring your attention. Cause again, like human behavior, you will most likely follow that person. Um, I always, I always say that although directing VR is by no means um, a science at this point, you know, there it's very much still undiscovered. It's a lot like being a magician in the sense of you kind of have to give the illusion of free will, but then be setting these little traps for people to kind of follow. Cause you know that on average, unless someone's going to go out of their way to purposefully look the opposite way just to kind of prove something, um, which you sometimes do, you know, you get those rebel audience members that are like purposefully look at the back the whole time just to see if anything happens. Um, you know, generally speaking, most people will follow the action. The biggest thing that I've learned as a big no-no in terms of directing attention is a lot of people early in 360 or in VR in general thought that they had to use the whole space 
It's mm. VR. It's 360. You can, you can look anywhere. So you need to put something interesting everywhere. Mm. Actually, that is the worst thing you can do because audiences feel like such a sense of FOMO. They've got no idea where to look. They mm. feel overwhelmed. They feel like they're missing out constantly, regardless of where they're looking because there's too much going on. So one thing I learned very early on is like signal to your audiences you know, you can look around, great, T take 20 seconds to acclimatize generally in the first scene, but then I'm going to very distinctly tell you where you should be looking-ish, you mm. know? Mm. Yeah, guide them around. Yeah, great. And, and what's, what's the aspiration you have or which direction would you particularly like to go um, with the field you're working in? Because it sounds like you've got quite diverse pieces there from... Um, from the PwC piece to the, to the cinema-based pieces? What is, what's yeah. your aspiration? Oh, it's such a good question. And this feels like it changes every month at this point. <laughs> but at the moment, I've really been, I've really, since the pandemic, um, although I have managed to do a few projects like that volumetric piece was done during the pandemic, like I've done a few pieces, but really I had a lot of downtime to kind of like a lot of people to reassess where it is that I want to go with all this and what my thoughts and feelings on the industry are. And I think I've kind of come to the conclusion through doing my own podcast that I'm really enjoying helping new creatives that come into the space or helping new people make a successful business out of what they're doing. A lot of people always ask me like, how can you make a full, I remember even being an augmenter and I was already, you know, that company was already profitable and people would be like, but how are you making, how are you generating revenue in this thing that supposedly is so new and people don't necessarily want to, you know, want to, by um and that's just not true and i think that so many people come into this space without a basic understanding of business marketing mm. you know yes the creative stuff is definitely like a passion but where i'm getting a lot of fulfillment at the moment is educating that new cohort of people coming into the space on you know don't go to a company and be like you need to use vr vr is amazing like vr does this and vr does this no 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 no. understand their business challenge recognize if vr can actually solve that problem mm. and it's going to be an easy sell for you if it's a right fit but don't try and you know shove a square peg into a round hole kind of thing um so yeah at the moment that's where i'm kind of leading towards leading okay towards cool you're finding that more more fulfilling so uh, well that's interesting so what, what what do you wish you'd known uh, at the start of your career then with regards to vr what what shortcuts would Oof. you would you whisper in your ear if you could travel back in time um it's going to take a lot longer than you think. That's what I would have whispered. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I know when I first got into this industry, because I was so convinced by it, because I was Here so convinced go. by it. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you know, I'd be on panels being like, nah, 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 mass adoption is going to happen in the next few years. You watch, you watch. And actually, as I've gone on and on, I'm like, you know what? No, we're still a good 10 years away, maybe more for like mass adoption. Like, who knows? Obviously, things can change. And if Apple get into the game and do something drastic and we get a flood of new funding into the area, maybe. But realistically, in terms of having VR at the scale of like smartphones, for example, I think, you know, we're oh, still a scale of smartphones, yeah. yeah, a long, mm. a long way, a long way. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Quest in some ways perhaps is like, that very first Walkman that came out with the orange headphones. Um, yes. Like in, yeah. a, in 84, something like that. I remember I was a kid and I was on the, the Paris Metro and there's this really cool dude, bad stonewashed denim with like the walk, 
on his belt and these big orange headphones, you know, and that was kind of like the, the precursor generation. And it was like Quest 2 could maybe be that. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely seeing, like, for example, um, my siblings and I were together for the first time in like since before Christmas, um, recently for Father's Day. And I got the quest out to show them a new game that I discovered, Smash Drums, which is basically Beat Saber, but for drums. Yeah. And it's phenomenal. It's so much fun. And um, my younger brother, who does work in VR with me sometimes, he works on projects. So it's not like he doesn't know the space already, but he had never found a compelling enough reason to buy a headset but after showing him that game all of a sudden he was like okay so now we've got a beat saber we've got a smash drums we've got you know a boxing game i could you know link it to my computer and play half-life alex all of a sudden there is enough of a reason for me to pay for this 300 pound headset now mm. so now he's gone and got himself one and that to me is like you know this is someone who is very tech savvy and is in the gamer world, but there was still not the right impetus for him to go out and buy it. But now he has. So, you know, he's still quite an early adopter, but what does that, you know, I feel we're slowly getting there. The content's coming along, the price point's getting better, the technology, every time you show it to someone new, they are mind blown. So we're getting, we're getting there slowly. Yeah, I think you can, uh, maybe if you, if you like um, fun mini games, Top Golf is, is another like real just fun, Go and have yeah. a blast, and um, Seven Eleven table tennis is also quite fun. Actually, if you like, if you like racket games, Racket NX is, okay. is really yeah, yeah, yeah. really fun. If you if you're ever a fan of racket games in the past, I mean, it, I mean, it, it, it is classic, uh, classic, you know, sci-fi. Like you know, go in, game launches, court builds around you, <laughs> and love um, that. Yeah, love it. So there's some really nice touches in there. That's cool, um, though. Those kind of simple things that are just really like no-brainers for no, Exactly. So in terms of like the, perhaps the, the tech or the direction, what are you curious about now in the space? Um, I'm really curious to see how AR and VR are going to start to kind of interlock. It's curious to me. I, I don't know whether you uh, listened to the um, Mark Zuckerberg podcast he did recently he gave this interview i forget who it was with but basically it was like a good heart to me he said you know ar is going to have much more of a mass impact because it has a lot more utility in our day-to-day -day lives mm -hmm. and you aren't going to be afraid of walking down the street with a pair of glasses on whereas you're probably not going to walk around with a, a headset on being fully in in enveloped in in um, in the virtual world, so AR is gonna is gonna potentially have more of a mass impact, but the technology for AR is actually still really quite difficult because we've never in we've never had clear based screens, whereas VR obviously it's basically just a screen on your face, and of course there's different challenges with VR. But the way he talked about like the way that they go together and the path that VR leads for AR has been really kind of playing on my mind recently. So I'm really curious about, again, if the rumors are true and Apple come out with a mixed reality headset, what is that gonna do for us as an industry? What use cases are they going to have come up with that maybe we haven't thought of yet? Like, is there gonna be a mass boom in, you know, utility-based things with something like that? Or is there gonna be, like you say, is there gonna be some kind of like, 
better example of these like led narrative experiences because mon uh, Apple have got the money to just kind of like throw and make it a success. Like, I don't know. I'm curious about that, about, about those two tests. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what Apple's approach is, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I was, you know, when I was sort of talking about forecasts, I always refer to 2022 as the date when Apple would come out with something. But then when you look at like, what they're doing with like their really high-end devices, like the headphones, right, that are 560 quid or whatever they are, mm. you know, whether they're just going to come out with something that's a thousand quid dollars and has kind of ticked the box and they'll go, oh, there's that thing for a thousand bucks. We're actually not going to come out with anything for another three years. Yeah. Or whether it is the sort of start of a wave. And knowing or knowing Apple that, you know, they'd probably have some kind of content play to support it. You know, they yeah. probably try and have some kind of tunes or store or or something around it. I think that they would have they would have supporting software to go with it if they were serious about it. I think if they just release a flagship piece, it's almost like, hey, this is where we're at. See you in three years. Um, which would be a shame because yeah. you're like, oh God, you know, that's not an iPhone moment. That's more like a sort of, you know, Bang and Olsen, Bows and Wilkins moment where they just go, yeah, yeah, we're on it. Uh, and here's yeah, how yeah. good we, we are dipping a toe in that. Yeah. Facebook don't have full market monopoly, like, but yeah. they do. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm sure it'll be a very well executed, beautifully designed piece of tech. But yeah, whether it's got any sort of um, plans for actual traction. And but it's also interesting to see how far they're willing to let Facebook run away with it. Well, um, I'd be excited to see, especially, well, two things. I'd be excited to see. Obviously, their devices work so seamlessly together. So I'd be excited to see what they do in terms of the iPhone talking to the headset. Is that something they're going to utilize? Is it going to make that whole content experience a lot more seamless? Whereas I feel like that is still a bit clunky on Oculus. Um, but also, it's interesting because obviously the Apple-Facebook rivalry, especially with all the privacy stuff going on, mm. it kind of primes Apple to be that competitor in the space especially since you know face uh, facebook made the move of making everyone have the facebook account linked to their oculus thing which was not obviously a favorable decision in the yeah. in the vr industry you know it, it is gonna open up this like i feel like potentially it could be this like oh yeah that is another way of doing this that we hadn't thought about because yeah. all of the ecosystems at the moment whether it's vive oculus pico they're all kind of similar ish like you know they're going after slightly different markets but they're kind of similar whereas i feel like i hope anyway that apple come out with something that is different because it's so user focused and it's something that really makes us like you say even if it's just a bit of like a tick done like you know let's throw it out there and then we'll come back to you with the actual product in three to five years um either way i'd be curious to see if there's any like glimmer of like ah this is a different way of doing this this is mm. an apple way of doing this mm. kind of that sounded like too much of a fangirl <laughs> yeah yeah well we're all we're all excited by their products aren't we and it'll be interested to see if you know what what they do in this space yeah i've just got a feeling it's just going to be this big luxury luxe piece though um, yeah. yeah and will pe will people fall for it is the question i mean i certainly will <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. you might be able to afford it baby <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah i'm actually quite excited about just getting a new m2 laptop uh, oh 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever they come out. When they release them, yeah. I, I upgraded to the M1 and stupidly thought that just because I had an M1 laptop, I would suddenly be able to edit 4K 3D 360 with no problem. Didn't quite work out as planned, but uh, <laughs> but it's certainly better than my old Apple MacBook, but yeah. Cool, I'm going to change tack slightly now and ask you if you could have a billboard with anything on it to help build a new reality, what would it be and why? So this is like a billboard, you know, middle of town or out of town, big yeah. billboard space. What would your words of encouragement or direction be? And so this is just so I'm clear. So this is almost like my billboard kind of enticing people into our immersive world or is uh, it doesn't like have to be could be just be like you know eat less chips go, <laughs> go running brush your never teeth never eat less chips <laughs> <laughs> um it would probably be something along the lines of question everything you've been taught i think i'm at the moment i'm probably like a lot of people you know you go through the pandemic you have a lot of time on your hands if you are in a privileged position to not necessarily be scurrying around for mortgage payments, your brain naturally goes to those bigger kind of philosophical questions that we as a race, you know, as, as a human race are, are kind of up against at the moment. And so I've been doing a lot of deep diving around why, you know, what is the economy? How come they can just print money? What does that even mean? Like, what does, quant what does quantitative easing mean? Like, what does that mean for us as consumers? How come they tell us that we shouldn't be in debt, but then the very economy itself is built on you being in debt and they lower interest rates in order to make it appealing to get into more debt. But then if you're in too much debt, then that's a bad, you know, it's like questioning all of that, questioning the structure that you were told, questioning the path you were told to take especially you know for myself as like you know just recently turned 30 and as a woman in my in this time in my life there is a very set script that I was supposed yeah. to follow you know yeah. people find it weird that you know not only am I not married and have kids but I'm also pursuing this very off the beaten path career track and like I think if more people questioned what they were taught then I, well, I feel we just live in a better world to be honest do you think there's a lot of that happening at the moment? I think, you know, in, in some ways it, it felt like we were coming out of, out of lockdown. Uh, I don't know whether it's like bad weather of the summer and, you know, lockdown numbers not appearing to go away, but it almost feels like, you know, there's like another, felt like, hey, summer's here, it's all going to be good. And it's like, oh no, we might be going- Not quite. Yeah. <laughs> it might be like this for a bit longer. Um, <laughs> And, and I think, you know, with the pace of, of, of work and life that we've all sort of so re readily adapted and kind of have swallowed up. Um, but yeah, actually pause for reflection. Uh, yeah, yeah it, definitely. It feels like I, I thought for a while that I was going a little bit stir crazy having some of these thoughts and questioning these things. And then every time I would like, you know, slightly tentatively try and pose the conversation to not just my close friends, but also peers in the industry, like, hmm, you know, I've been thinking about this and then and kind of you know tiptoeing around it because i didn't want them to be like oh bloody hell exactly do you need help mate yeah, um yeah. but instead i've been met with oh yeah i've been thinking about that too and then you know going down naturally as you go down the youtube wormhole and then the algorithm starts feeding whatever it is that you're looking into and all of a sudden i'm like you know opened up to this whole world of people talking about these subjects that mm. I think for a long time, 
um, have kind of been pushed to the back because you know it, you know it, it's harmful for society to question society. Like you yeah, know, yeah, don't question, question the rule book. <laughs> don't question the rule book. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But what about you? What would you have on a billboard? What would I have? Um, I would probably have something to do around digital detox. So, um, you know, something. So, let me think of a phrase. Um, uh, keep it short. Like, turn your device off. <laughs> yeah, short, simple, to the point. Love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, that's because no, that, I, you know, I think the world we work in, obviously, as humans, you know, we're attracted to moving forward. We're attracted to improving connection. We're attracted to developing story, and it's kind of quite easy to, um, you know, just be be swamped. And, uh, and in that the whole time. So I think paradoxically, you actually need to proactively go the other way a little bit, yeah. so. Yeah, it's funny to me that a lot of the big thinkers in the tech industry are in a way kind of anti-tech. <laughs> you know, they're kind of, you know, you look at like Darren Lanier, like who, you know, is dubbed the godfather of, or the grandfather of VR. And he, you know, is constantly preaching about don't be on social media, mm. have a flip phone, like take time out. And then he comes at us with these amazing new ideas about how we could bring back the middle class by, you know, um, paying people for their data and all sorts of interesting things, which I don't think you would be able to have that kind of force foresight or clarity on something like that unless you were kind of removed from it so yeah yeah right. yeah no if you're fully in the pursuit of you know faster more efficient better whatever that is then yeah you 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 miss you miss the off switch where actually all our inspiration comes from totally that would be mine turn it off yes turn <laughs> uh, it off my friend but turn it back on to reply to my uh, email <laughs> yeah, but but if i could have that tomorrow so i, I got a call from a, a customer yesterday who we've never really worked for but i bumped into at a conference and uh, i had a call yesterday and um you know they're like oh we've got we've got this brief da, 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 da. and uh, the first one's got to be in for friday and i was like oh, I, I, you know I don't, I don't think we're gonna be able to do that but out of politeness um i was like well you know send it over anyway i'll give you some comments and, you know, first thing this morning, have you got those questions so that we can go back to, say, client? Uh, at which point I was like, okay, yeah, you didn't read between the lines of my politeness. Um, and at which point I had to say, uh, no, won't be able to do that. Perhaps there's something around actually on the billboard uh, around uh, uh, saying what, you, you know, saying what you mean in, in, with, with clarity rather than uh, with, with vagueness or with politeness. Yeah. I, I think um, I think just like we're having this collective awakening kind of like on a consciousness level, I also think that uh, especially when it comes to marketing, we're swinging the pendulum the other way. It used to be really lofty, kind of vague marketing, like to mm. make you feel like human-centered design, like, yeah, yeah. you know, like whatever, you know, all these kind of like big lofty things. Like, what does that mean though? Like, what do you do? <laughs> Whereas I think now, like it is getting to the point where it's like, just cut the crap. Tell me what, yeah, it what it's do. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Cool. So on that tip, if you had a hundred million pounds to spend on a social program, with no red tape, what would that be? Oh, I mean, it would probably have to be something like a UBI experiment, like which is kind of already happening in America now, but like something around universal basic income. I was, I was listening to a really interesting conversation on Tim Ferriss's podcast. Was it Tim Ferriss? Or it might have been, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was Andrew Yang, like the guy that 
was going to be running for president for the Democrats and then he dropped out. Uh, that's uh, Andrew Yang. Yeah, so Andrew Yang uh, was talking about universal basic income and he was talking about it with um, Naval, Naval Ravikant, who is a brilliant... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like VC and, and like he did an amazing like podcast in his own right, all about money mindsets and kind of like the economy and social structure and how that intertwines and stuff. But they were having this back and forth about UBI and obviously the, the generic counterpoint to universal basic income is like, oh, well, people will get lazy. People mm. get lazy. So you can't, you can't, you can't give them money for nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't like give them a reasonable quality of life and expect them to still show up to their like job at McDonald's. Like, you know what mm. I mean? Like just ridiculous. So they were having this interesting conversation about the fact that actually if you give people, if you let people live a nice life without having to like, you know, grind their gravel. Yeah yeah then what you actually find is that people have more time to think like i'm sure you've you know gone through this like when you start your business you're so worried about the money you are so focused on the finance that that's all you can think about you are just grind 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 work 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 but then when you get to a point where you kind of you know you kind of transcend up the hierarchy of needs you do have that time to think you do have that time to kind of like sit and and kind of like contemplate and you're not in as much of a rush and i think his point on that podcast was um, if you give people the security of knowing you will have healthcare, you will be able to put food on your table, you will be able to, you know, live under a roof, all seemingly very basic things to be a decent human being to someone else, like to give them that mm. security. Um, then what you'll actually find is you get a whole new generation of thinkers, people that are, you know, the top engineers, like people that can solve problems like with science and tech and you know creativity that we just can't at the moment or we can't do fast enough because we don't allow people to do so I yeah because my, a lot of people will be in yeah sort of more survival mindset rather than creative mindset absolutely that's obviously something you've been reading into the ubi yeah it is because i think again i think um sometimes you just have those moments where you go Oh yeah, why do we live in a world where some people can't even afford to feed their children? Like, yeah, yeah, what or have is a house. That? Yeah, we're in any society where people don't have house, can't afford a house, just seems like, hang on, that's that's not right. That's not right. Like, yeah. that's so weird. And the, and the debt point you made about, hang on, we're all running around, literally busting our butt to to make sure we don't hit zero, and you lot are just going the other way on that. There's you know, some you, huge contradictions in plain sight exactly like that was for me i mean i don't know how you felt like coming out of augmenter and whether you guys like pursued vc funding but i think one of the biggest things for me was like realizing hang on a second so you want to give me money to most likely probabilistically statistically fail at something that's an interesting concept to me now don't get me wrong i understand how it works and i understand why it's worked for so long but Again, I watched something recently about the Twitch founder talking about how they burned through 45 million. And he said openly, if he had to use his own 45 million to do it, he wouldn't do it today. Mm. But because it was other people's money, it allowed them to just go for it because, hey, it's not our money. Mm. And I was just like, in what world does, <laughs> in what world is that like a good idea that like, oh, give someone 45 million, but yeah, don't feed every single person in your community don't like make sure that everyone has shelter like that's mm. so weird to me we live in such a weird world <laughs> mm. humans are strange 
we are that we are so two final things i would like to ask you if you have any favorite theories like i have a favorite theory it's called uh, uh, solomon's paradox which is basically um the theory or, or the fact that it's easier to give someone advice about their life than to make give clear <laughs> advice to yourself Oh, that's such a good one because it's so true, isn't it? It's so true. You know, it's very easy to clearly say to someone, oh, you should do this, this and this, but with regards to your own life. And do you have any particular theories as to why that might be the case? Like why? I think I, think I do, yeah. I think, uh, I think as individuals, we try and weigh up the pros and cons from multiple angles, whereas when you're dispensing advice to someone else, you don't necessarily take into account the, the subtleties of their emotional radar where they're perhaps trying to factor in uh, a whole gamut of, of, of whys and why nots. You're just like, well, that, that's the root of it. This is what you do. Yeah, that's so true. That's really interesting. Um, I really enjoy the concept of Parkinson's law, which is that a task will take as long as you give it, essentially. Mm. Uh, so the idea of like, mm. you know, a client gives me a month deadline well, that task is going to take a month then. And realistically, it doesn't take a month. It takes, you know, oh, I'll do a little bit here. Oh, I can't be bothered. I'll do it next week. There's no, nothing pressing. And then, you know, the final 48 hours running up to it, you're like, crap, crap, crap. <laughs> um, so that idea that if you give yourself two hours to get something done, then it will take two hours. But if you gave that same task two days, it would take two days. I think I see that constantly in my own life. Um, I like that theory. I can relate to that. It's obviously true <laughs> yeah and i think the thing that i've been trying because i think it's it's so true it's so painfully true and even though i know it's true i still can't stop myself from doing it so what i've tried to do now is just if i've got a month-long deadline i just won't even bother touching it until the last week because i just know it just clutters my brain up otherwise. I'm mm. thinking about it for the three weeks running up to the final week, thinking mm. I should get around to that. I should do a bit of that. I should do a bit of that. But there's no urgency. Mm. So now I'm trying to kind of get my condition myself to not do something until the last minute mm. because otherwise you just waste energy mm. thinking about it when you know realistically you're not going to do it. Now, interesting approach. I think most people, or perhaps with my conditioning, it would be like, no, no, you need to block, block off chunks in each week where you're like, nah, just like, crush it in at the end because that is when the adrenaline will take over and you'll get it done yeah. uh, and any favorite book recommendations um anything that you've you've read that's particularly uh, sort of go to you mm. go to recommendate um passing them to other people i've got two one is on the theme of like more of the kind of like big picture philosophy philosophy economy kind of stuff that we're talking about so um a book called donut economy or donut economics which is oh i'm gonna have to just quickly google the author's name because i always forget it donut economics kate rawworth i think is how you say her last name um and it's basically about building you know because obviously with the capitalism debate a lot of people are like well what's the opposite to capitalism communism communism doesn't work like blah but most people I think would agree that like it's not necessarily capitalism it's just the way we do capitalism that is not right so donor economics is all about looking at like the actual big picture world and finding a way so that growth is not always the answer you know so like we look at things like climate and equality and those things and build an economic system that works 
for that rather than just endless growth, endless supply and demand. So that's a really interesting book. And then uh, from a more business techie kind of stance, um, I mean, four hour work week, you know, is the basic Bible for anyone that wants to start a business. I think the whole idea of dreamlining and contextualizing what success means to you like that was something you mentioned earlier on in our in our conversation I think most people run into business without a clear picture and I was absolutely guilty of that they without a clear picture of what they want to actually achieve and I love what Tim Ferriss talks about in that book with the whole idea of you know let's imagine what your dream life looks like and then reverse engineer a business and a passion and you know a monetary value to assign to that rather than Oh, it's all about just being a millionaire. But why? Do you really need a million? Why do you need a million? You know, does the lifestyle that comes along with being a millionaire business owner actually appeal to you? Or is it the money to do things that appeals to you? So I would recommend that as well. Good recommendations. Well, Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you on building new realities. Are there any uh, particular links to to your work or to yourself that uh, Um, Yeah, everyone, if you want to find out more about me or listen to my podcast or just general connect and carry on some of these conversations, you can find me, Alex Makes VR, across all of the social medias. And the podcast is called Alex Makes VR too. Just keep that branding on point. Yeah, good, good, memorable name. You're good at memorable names. I think you could start a memorable name business. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm doing (laughs) the wrong things here. (laughs) Lovely to talk to you. And I look forward to catching up soon. Yeah, thank you. Cheers.